Hello and welcome to The Inner Gamer, episode 216. We are the video game source for you, the casual gamer. My name is Brett Yanoski. And I'm, oh, what? I said Brett Yanoski. Oh, I thought you said something else. What you think It I did said? not sound like your name. <laughs> I said Brett Yanoski. Okay, what, my what, you, you I hear? don't know. I don't know. I heard something hey, different. My name is Austin Moore. Uh, Arles. Yeah, no, it's awesome, Ross. Uh, and this week, and, and, the, and this week on the Intergamer Podcast, Brett plays The Last Day of June on the Switch. We both dive back into Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus. And in the gaming what? news, the first details for PS5 have been revealed, and we are very excited about what is coming to next gen. Also, Ubisoft donates 500k to the Notre Dame restoration, and Unity, Assassin's Creed Unity, is free and Steam review and gets Steam reviewed with positive bombs. Positive bombs. Fine. I don't think we'd ever think we'd ever see positive bombs. And in the discussion topic, we have a very special guest, Jeff Stevens, who is going to talk about D and D and some of the campaigns he's built to put on the. Uh, Dungeon Masters Guild, which is really awesome. You guys want to go over there, check out his stuff, and we have a giveaway, so stay tuned. All this and more right here on Intergamer Podcast. It is April 23rd, 2019. Welcome to the Inner Gamer Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we love for you to make the show better and we'll give you some goodies along the way. For as little as $5, you can help support the show so we can keep bringing you the highest quality content each and every week. I want to say, so we have a, a few Patreon supporters right now. We have seven of them. They are amazing people. We love each and every one of them. Uh, I want to set a goal for ourselves. I want to try and reach $100 a month. Right now we're getting $34 a month from our Patreon subscribers and that's awesome like we are super excited about that but in order for us to scale our events which many of you have been attending and i think having a good time with um uh people that listen to our podcast hopefully you're getting some good value out of our podcast if you watch our youtube channel like some stuff out of that we need as much help as we can get to build these up and make it better every bit that comes in is going to be reinvested into growing the, the group and making making better content better things for you guys allow us to like bring people on to help be community managers to like improve our discord channel all that stuff so right now the goal hundred dollars a month help us get there right now if every single one of you listen to this goes on to patreon.com slash gamer and donates a dollar a month we've reached our goal that's it dollar a month every single one of you right now dollar a month we've reached it appreciate it thank you there you go that's what we got. In addition, events. We have a big, huge tournament coming up next week. This weekend, actually. It'll be at Ampersand. It is a Super Smash Brothers tournament. There is a $10 buy-in. We are capping it at 64 players. Uh, there's a cash prize. I think we... $75 for winner. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. $75? $50 for second place? I don't know. Maybe $25. $25? they are just okay. second place. It'll be something like that. <laughs> we'll be, but winner gets $75. Yes, yes. $10 buy-in. And then if you show up, like, we love you for it. And then Slash, you get to play a lot of Super Smash Brothers. Single elimination, uh, best two out of three. 
all that good stuff. Heck yeah. Um, no items deal like that. But uh, I mean, heck, maybe we'll pull out all the stops and pull in one of the customized stage editors that has a penis in the background. So why not? We'll talk about that later. But uh, yeah, come on out to check it out. It'll be at three o'clock. We're going to end at seven on Sunday, April 28th. Be there or be square. All right, let's talk about some video games, y'all. Yes. Here we go. Man, So been an interesting week, I'm sure. It has been. Um, we haven't played anything new per se, but I've played something that's a little bit older that is uh, pretty, pretty cool. There's a game that I bought on the Switch a while back, and it's called The Last Day of June. And have you seen this game, Austin, or have yes. you played it? Yeah, you talked about it a while back ago. I talked about like briefly, like really, really short, just like well, yeah. make a mention of it. Well, no, and but then you, you like brought it up it? back, back in it. No, I haven't played it, but yeah, yeah. it's interesting. It's on the Switch, right? It's on the Switch. Yeah, yeah it came so, out on Steam. It's got really good reviews. It originally came out August 31st of 2017. So this is like two years old. But um, like on Steam, it's got nine out of 10, Polygon, 8.5 out of 10, all that stuff. But basically, this is a very story driven game. It's about three hours long. Um, and what you do is you're playing as a character who has a wife, um, and you go out to the lake and you sit on this, uh, pier and you reminisce about stuff. And the first thing you realize in this game is it's got a really beautiful kind of watercolored art style. So it's got a shallow depth of field. So you can't see a whole lot of detail in the distance and everything kind of looks a little bit like it's been painted or watercolored. The whole entire game is like this. So it's got a really, really cool looking style to it. And, um, you're playing this game and what ends up happening is you and your wife crash and June, your wife dies. And the goal of the game is to get her back. And the mechanics behind it are you play through because you wake up and you're in a wheelchair and she's gone. She's not with you anymore. And it's really crappy. And she was a painter. <laughs> so you go into this room and there's all these easels set up with empty canvases and there's moments where you go outside and there's like these little like memory experiences. I don't know if you ever played, um, everybody goes to the, everybody's gone to the rapture. Did you ever play that? Yeah, but I saw it. Yeah. So you know how like there was moments where you like go or kind of in the division too, where you have those like holographic, like memories that take you back to like telling you a story with people that are interacting in the space. The right. division doesn't have them move, but in here they're like moving a little bit and there's like audio cues that like narrate this moment in time. So you go around and learn a little bit about your relationship with your, your wife. And then you then enter into a, you go, go up to a canvas you put your hand on it and it says, remember question mark. And you say yes. And then it puts you into a flashback to before you ever went out onto the road to take her to the pier to then end up in a car crash and her dying. Um, and you relive that memory of through the eyes of another character. So basically what you're trying to do is manipulate what happened with each of the characters that could have led to her death to try and change and bring her back and have her survive. So it so starts it's out. It's a little magical. Yeah. Uh, it starts out with like, you have the boy who, uh, the reason why you crash is because the boy's soccer ball went out onto the road. You saw the soccer ball and saw him and you swerve and you crash in the wall. And, um, so you're trying to figure out how do I get it, change his pathway during that day leading up to seven o'clock so that the ball doesn't end up, the soccer ball doesn't end up out on the road. So you fix that. 
And then the next story bit is that happened. Well, then you find out that the girl who has always longed for your character and never ended up not getting you uh, decides to move away. She's going to move away. And then the reason why you crashed at that point was because she didn't tie up her boxes on her truck and the boxes fell on the road and that caused you to swerve off. So you go in there and you're basically reliving memories and trying to fix the past to change the outcome of the future with basically allowing June to live. Um, so that's the setup, but I thought it was going to be, present. uh, no, cause it's already happened. Yeah, so, so yeah, like everything's changing the past that changes the present, not the future. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Change the change yeah. the present. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but it's interesting because you thought like at the beginning, cause at the end of each memory, uh, they show you these cards and there's a series of cards behind it that says there's like two or three different outcomes that could come from this. So you have to figure out which of those outcomes are the right one to allow you to go through the tier. There's four different characters that you have to like relive their memories through to hopefully save June. And, um, I thought it was going to be a linear progression, but it's not once you get past the girl, you find out you then have to go back into the boy's memory and alter his past different from what you thought would have already fixed it to then make her memory work out to then stop it from happening. And then once you get to the fourth memory, you're going back through each person's memory to change it again, to change out like basically where different objects are in the scene and actions that took place and manipulating those actions so that they aren't like this rope is not here at this point in time so that this person can interact with this thing and cause this action, this chain reaction to occur that leads to the the accident and it just becomes this whole like mind fuck of craziness as you're going through it. And it's really, really brilliant. Like it's really, really smart. The hard part about it is the thing that I don't like about this game is as brilliant as it is, it's also extremely confusing and it's not really told very well that this is what you have to do. So there's a lot of trial and error and there's a lot of like weird things. Like every time you go through the memories, you're basically having to like rewind time and re- like they show you the rewinding of time back to that moment when it started. And that takes like two minutes. So I just felt like, okay, I'm sitting here wasting my time watching these things rewind. Right. And there's just a lot of like wasted energy throughout the game that ended with me. I got to a point and then I just like went to YouTube and finished watching it for the last little bit because I just didn't want to play through the rest of it because it was getting frustrating because it wasn't clearly told it wasn't clear enough how to fix this problem, but had they given you a little bit of a nudge towards that direction, I think it would have been like perfection because the, the, the delivery of this story and the way in which they handle it by melding gameplay and, um, story together so well, like it's, it's really, really cool. And I've never seen it done like this before. So, um, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. But it sounds cool, but yeah, yeah, I could see how I would get really frustrated with that kind of gameplay. Yeah. <clears throat> Everything's so fast paced nowadays. Maybe back in the day that would have been okay. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe there's clues in that when you rewind it. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like you see notice like notices. Like I, when I was playing the female who was moving away, whenever you go to type her stuff, you immediately think, oh yeah, there's a rope. The boy had a rope. 
how can I get the rope from the boy? So it's a, it's all puzzle, but it's like, they're, they're a little, they're very complex. And as you get further into the game, like there's a part where you're this, this older man who is going around shooting things and you're like, why the heck is he shooting things? Well, you find out that there was this like this trinket that he had in his house and a bird flew in his house, took the trinket and flew outside with it. So he's chasing the bird down, trying to shoot it out of the trees. And then in doing that, as you're trailing after this bird, you're opening doors and gates and things throughout the world that impact the other memories. So basically the thing, the things that you do in this memory stay there and alter everybody else's state as you go back and replay it again. Um, so like there's parts where like the kid's too short, so he can't reach over to the other side of a gate to open the door, but the old, the old man came with the gun and he does it. So then you're like, Oh yeah, this is that part where I should have opened that gate. Now it's open. Cause the old man opened it in that past memory. Now let's go through there. Now I can get through that pathway and advance the story. So there's like all these little bits that you have to remember happen to go back and like adjust these different things to like make new pathways for the all three of the memory. But um, yeah, I will say it ends sad. Like it doesn't end with a happy, it's not a happy ending, but right. it's so good. Like really, really recommend it. If you just want something that's, if you want a fast paced shooting game, this is not it. But if yeah. you want to in, in, enjoy a story, I would say if nothing else, if you don't play it, look up a YouTube channel. There's this uh, Irish guy that I listened to that had a walkthrough of it. It's like three 45 minute videos. Um, no, it's not long at all. Each one with, yeah. Well, he cut out a lot of the, the bullshit that I was talking about, you know, so like you don't get any of that, which is nice. But um, it's really, really good. And he has some pretty good commentary with it. Um, but it's a mind fuck for sure. It's, it's pretty crazy. So that's that. The last day of June or it's called last day of June. So check it out. It's made by a, a group called Ovo Sconico and published 505. by 505 Games. Yeah. So, so there you it go. It is currently $20 on the Switch and also $20 on Steam. Yeah. So yeah. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Like, I mean, I think the full, if you play the full game, it's like three, three and a half hours probably um, if you played it all the way through. So um, not bad. Not bad length. But anyway, so yeah, uh, that's what I've been playing new. Um, Austin, you and I have been going back to some old games as of late just because I feel like shits and giggles and whatnot. But you've been playing New Colossus just like I have. Um, are you replaying it from the beginning? Like, yep, replayed it from the beginning. Yeah. So, like, wait, did you like finish it again? I haven't finished it yet. Okay, but yeah, I'm, like on the last fourth. So, what was it that like? Why? Why did you want to go back and replay it? I mean, obviously, it's your game of the year of 2017 or whatever. Yeah, came out, but and we'll get into that for a second. After, okay, after this, but uh, I don't know. I was just looking at my. I, I went through all my Steam games and I was like, what do I have on here that can tickle? this itch I got or scratch this itch that I have. I don't know. I just, what's I, cause I pulled it up before like a few months, some, sometime back in 2018. And it's just like, eh, you know, I like, I know I like this game. Like I really enjoy it. And I just, sometimes I try to go back to some of these games that I know that I have a good time. I've had a good time with and try to replay them. Like God of war. Like I did the same with that. I tried to play that again. And it just, I, I just kind of fell off. At the time, right. more games are coming out, so it's kind of like, well, I've already played this game, so let me find a different time. Yeah, I don't know. I jump back into it. Like I, I jumped back into um, uh, the Banner Saga one, beat that. That was amazing. So I was like, you know what? Let me find another game similar. So I jump back into that to Wolfenstein. It was great, man. 
Yeah. Freaking amazing. No, it's a lot of fun. I've, I finally jumped back into it too. I haven't beat it yet, but right. I was like, I haven't played in a while and it felt good to like, it's one of those games that, you know, I was talking about God of War that if I go back into it, I probably have to start from scratch um, because of all the deep mechanics with it. This one doesn't have that. You know, you're, you're just running and shooting Nazis, running, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but it's, um, I have a new, new graphic card now that I can play it on and it's like super smooth and beautiful and amazing. And I just was like losing my mind. And then, I, you know, I don't know if you noticed this when you played on the PC, but the field of view is really tight. Like it was like, for me, it was super zoomed in. So I went in there and adjusted the settings and like pulled it back a little bit because it was sitting at like 80. I moved it out to like 120 or whatever. So it had like a kind of a wider field of view. Mm-hmm. Made it so much better because it felt super claustrophobic before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the heck is going on with this? And then I realized, oh yeah, I can like adjust my field of view settings. Right, right. So I did that and it huh. just made it a million times better because there was parts where I just like, I was, yeah, it was very, just the, so much motion happening on screen. Everything was like super tight in there and it just didn't feel right. But um, that helped out a lot. So I love the fact that on PC you can just adjust some settings and you're good to go. Right. But um, I finally played that mission New Orleans, which was pretty awesome. And you know that scene that you always see in the trailers, where like you're in that room with a Nazi guy walking in, and he's like, "I want a milkshake," and then he looks yeah. at you and he's like, "Papers." Yeah. And then uh, shit goes down, and shit goes down. You're, uh Then you get on that train down in the uh, like you have to hijack that train, and then go in there and freaking blow up that uh that uh that thing i forgot what we were blowing up but you know basically a plant a bomb new can just like get out of there get out of there and that was that was freaking crazy yep um that was a very cool epic scene and uh but yeah i like i like i like all the mechanics in there like some of there's some stealth mechanics that they throw in there um you know all the guns you can get um i mean i'm always picking up it's just crazy to play a game where you have to go around pick up health and armor all the time um and those big, huge brute guys that you have to fight off, like those are pieces of shit. But I just like blow one up and then steal his gun and then shoot at him until he dies and catches on fire and explodes. It's satisfying. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good shit. And you're not even like, okay, there's one part where, which I consider kind of halfway. Okay. And I, you haven't, you're like right on the cusp, man. You're about, it's about to get fucking good. Like, ah. Oh. So when I was looking back into, so so some point in time when we were talking about game of the year for 2017 and um, back in 2018, we'd had this conversation. I was like, man, when you listen, because I was just, I I remember the moment I was listening to uh, Legend of Zelda 25th anniversary orchestral theme, right? And it was like, God, there's just so much emotion. And when you watch the trailer for Breath of the Wild, uh, or one of the final ones, like it's just so good, so powerful, gets you really pumped for Zelda. And I'm like, man, I should have given this game game of the year. And, I, and the only reason I did it didn't is because I wanted to be a little more diverse in you know our game of the year um, coverage. And so I know, didn't you give Breath of the Wild game of the year? No. I know Luis did. I gave it to 2017. I think. I, well, what did I give it to? I don't remember. Cause that, I, I, I didn't too, give it to Breath of the Wild because I didn't play. feel like it was game of the year in my right. mind. Like it wasn't as enjoyable to me. Um, I don't. I didn't give it to. I might have given it to Super Mario, honestly. Yeah, because I, I really enjoyed that a lot. Devin gave it to Super Mario as well. Yeah. Anyway, I gave mine to to, to Wolfenstein too. Yeah. And now going back and playing it again, 
I don't disagree with my decision. I made the right call. Really? Because like when you go back to this game, there's so many things that happen. The way that the story is told is just superb. Machine Games is amazing. And I think they're out of Poland or something. You know, they're not even from America, but they capture the the American spirit so good in this game with killing Nazis. Like everything feels so smooth, so powerful. Like you feel like you know, BJ Blazkowicz, but at the same time, you know, coming off of Wolfenstein one, Sweden, Sweden coming off of Wolfenstein one, you know, you're this really powerful guy, but then coming into Wolfenstein two, you're actually this frail old man who is like this icon. And somehow you're still fighting, you know, with children coming, you know, coming, your wife's going to give birth at some point. She's like eight or nine months pregnant. So it can happen at any time. And so you have all this like backstory, and baggage and you feel it like it's powerful and so as you get farther into the story it's just like damn the twists and turns that happen i don't know it's well acted well produced graphics are great cinematics are amazing like there's nothing wrong i cannot find anything wrong with this game maybe the mechanic of you know you have armor and stuff or don't have regenerative health which i think they do really good at making a you know a current gen game 2017 game feel just as good as it did back then and taking those old mechanics and making them feel right at home. Like I cannot, I just, I love everything about this game. I just love it. Yeah. I think what they did really well with this, I mean, like you said, the story is something that is so, so fantastic for me. Like the, the character BJ Blazkowicz with, you're so used to games where they take a guy and he's like a big brute, like badass, whatever. But this one, they humanize him. They make him vulnerable and he's got, he's full of emotion and complexity and like, you know, he feels for his, his, his wife and his kid and he feels for these people that are around him and he's like built his family and he's, he, he shows his, his weaknesses a lot and uh, he is somebody that can be broken down as much of a badass as he is. And that's like such a cool, well-designed character. And then they have that, I forgot her name, but the black girl that's like just a, a badass. I her name, yeah. The, you know, she's like, I mean, she's like the strong female character that just like, let's take, take some names and kick some ass. Like she does a really good job. And then you have just everybody in there is so different. Like even the, uh, the daughter of the crazy Nazi lady, like she, she's not a huge part of it, but she's, she's interesting. Like she's feels like conflicted. She's doesn't want to be a part of this family that she was born into. And she's there to help them. But there was that scene where they're like doing a plan. They're like, the black lady was like, why is she in here? Right. And it's like, but she wants to be a part of this. She's right. like completely innocent, but like she's thrown into this world and right. like, and she keeps getting ragged on the whole time. But you know, I think we all relate to that, even though she is a Nazi or Nazi defector, but everyone still considers that. Yeah. But it's like one of those things, you know, like, like just because she was born into it doesn't mean she's like right. on that same way. Like she wants to break away from it. And that's kind of an interesting like look on humanity in a way, because that is kind of, I mean, we put, we, we label people so much in society without really giving them a second chance at like, you know, we have people that call names about all these different groups of people and assume that because they are that group of people, it means like people that just assume like Muslims are terrorists. That's not right. true. It's that terrorists are terrorists. And then there are some that are Muslim, but that's not the correlate. That's not connected, you know, like that's just, it's, it's, it's crazy how we, we make those assumptions and just, it's so easy to 
put people under the label just because they are that thing. Well, even looking at more psychologically, like all these people were upset about Nazis and she's the closest thing to a Nazi they have. So they put all of those negative emotions and feelings onto her. Yeah. You know, and she has to burden that and she's trying, you know, to prove herself. You know, we can relate to that. Yeah. Know, there's just so many different ways that, the game connects the characters together and it is very, it's all very humanizing. And especially like when you go on missions and you hear BJ Blazkowicz taught, like have his internal monologue, like 30 second internal monologue here or there, like give it insight into what he's thinking and feeling. And you're like, damn, if like it puts a lot of that stress he has on your own shoulders, you know? And you're like, I really want to get through this game and see where it goes and how he succeeds or fails, you know? Because you feel like every mission could be your last, technically. Right. Obviously, it's a video game. So yeah. there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. So. I mean, you're still a badass, so yeah. you got you yeah. got you can make it happen. But right. Yeah. No, it's it's really awesome, and I'm I'm just so I can't wait to play. Young, once I finish this, I'm gonna go and play Young Blood. Can't wait to play that. So I'm um, so happy that all these games have been made by the same people. Oh yeah, for sure. So like, I know Young Blood is gonna be good. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be and they're really working good. on a third one, and I'm so interested to see how it works out. Where Youngblood is in the future after Wolfenstein Two, but then Wolfenstein Three has been said that it's gonna go, it's gonna be in between Wolfenstein Two and Youngblood. So I love how they're like telling you the far, like here's here's the conclusion. You know what happened before. Now let's fill in the pieces in the middle, so you know where things are gonna go. Right. So that'll be interesting to see. It's kind of like watching Better Call Saul after Breaking Bad came out. Like you know where these characters end up, but now you get to find out how they got there. Right. And that's that to me is a really interesting storytelling dynamic that they're gonna make that happen. Like that's oh, that's yeah. a challenge. Oh yeah. So yeah, because I was worried about obviously because Fallout seventy six and Bethesda and all that and yeah. Zenimax is like, what is going on here? Can we trust any games coming out? But after playing this game and knowing Machine Games has made fucking awesome content yeah. for the past, well, all they've been doing is Wolfenstein, basically. Well, I mean, you so. can't, you know, you can't really rag on Bethesda. I mean, like Fallout seventy six is the only fail that they've ever had, really. Well, yeah. Well, it's just it's been such a shit show, and we've seen so many other AAA companies do such bad stuff. Like they're falling in that same crevice. Just lately, with generally, else. games have been less than ideal exactly. in a lot exactly. of ways they've they've touted a lot and they haven't fully delivered on their promises and right. stuff so right. but just like respawn like they've made good products i i believe in them same yeah. with uh, machine games so all their stuff's been great i cannot yeah. wait yep cool well that's gonna wrap it up for the games that we played this week everybody if you want to play some video games with us each and every week, like I want to play some Firestorm with some people in Battlefield Five, or if y'all want to play some Division Two, yeah, why haven't we done that? Um, we can. I we should schedule it. We should add it in my calendar, man. <laughs> just let's schedule it. <laughs> I will. I'll just throw it on your calendar. Oh no, no. I mean, you have to like tell me. Oh, okay. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if anyone wants to schedule on my calendar to play some video games, you can join us on our Discord channel and check out the link in the show notes. And. If you like what you hear, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and tell a friend. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with our video game news. You're listening to The Inner Gamer. Hello, everybody. It is time for our video game news. This is Brett Yanoski, your host of this morning's radio show. This afternoon's radio show, all no, that really. good stuff. In this segment, we shared the best headlines in the week in the gaming industry. We're really going with this voice. Okay. Oh, we are going with this voice indeed. This is Brett Yanoski's 
fun time news segments. Here we go. I don't want to be a part of this fun time. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You signed up for this, man. I did sign up for, for this. this. When you signed that, remember when you checked that box that said, I agree to the terms of service on that website that you filled out for last week? And it said, I agree to terms of service. And you click submit that had in the fine print. You have to succumb to everything that Brett does and says, <laughs> You're doomed. You're I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Uh, what's not doomed though? Sony. Ah. Sony PlayStation. Sony's revealed the first details of the PlayStation Five. Uh, this isn't just a hearsay rumor mill thing. This is like legit. This is legit. Okay. So on Kotaku, there is an article that talks about what a report was that came from Wired. So sources upon sources talking about this stuff. Uh, we are going to get a PlayStation 5. It is for sure going to come. Uh, probably not this year, likely in 2020. Um, and this is going to be obviously a lot more powerful of a console than it used to be. Um, they said early on that one of the things they're really trying to address is load times. And um, I feel like this is, should be a more obvious this should have been something that was solved like with the PS4 Pro, but I don't know why they didn't do that. It's too it's too much money, man. But solid-state drives. They're going to finally have a solid-state drive in the new PlayStation 5, which should dramatically speed up loading times between games and rendering time for game environments and stuff like that. Sweet. So that should be cool. Um, in addition, Lead Ar Architect came out and said that... Uh, Yes, that PlayStation Lied <laughs> yes. system architect Mark Cerny said that, however, its raw bandwidth should exceed that of what's currently available for PCs. According to Wired, he wow. says that when you fire up a PS4 Pro playing Spider-Man, a 2018 PS4 exclusive that he worked on, uh, Spidey stands in a plaza, you press a button on the controller, initiating a fast travel interstitial screen. Uh, when he reappears in a totally different spot in Manhattan, 15 seconds have passed. Um, and then he does the same thing on a next-gen dev kit connected to a different TV. The dev kit is an early low-speed version, um, it's, uh, et cetera, et cetera. What took 15 seconds before to go from fast travel to transporting another part of Manhattan and then dropping in took not 15 seconds, but 0 0.8 seconds. So that's a huge, huge difference. So that means fast travel is like... Fast travel. Instant. Instant travel. <laughs> it's like speed of lightning like travel. Actual fast travel. <laughs> yeah. Like so, bullet train for green Exactly. Days. So um, in addition to that, CPU and GPUs obviously been upgraded. Uh, the CPU is based on AMD's Risen line and contains eight cores of their new 7 nanometer Zen 2 microarchitecture. The GPU is a custom variant of Radeon's Navi family. It'll have ray tracing. Um, it will, uh, da, 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 et cetera, et cetera, all that good stuff. <laughs> so, um, they also are going to do some stuff with VR, obviously. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. they're going to bring out a new generation mm -hmm. of virtual reality yeah. in the next generation, but it's yes. going to have stuff built into it. Um, it's being considered, they're not calling it the PlayStation 5, but they prefer next gen console. So, I don't know, maybe they'll change the name. Maybe they'll call it the PS one like <laughs> xbox did or something like that hopefully not um but yeah so ultimately it's gonna be a lot more powerful and that's good so it's not gonna be what we were kind of predicting <laughs> that sony or xbox would do which make like a switch like console that it can be portable as well right but. yeah i think they're still working on something along those lines but oh, i don't no think doubt. it's gonna be no doubt. like I, I don't know 
I'm not really sure what they're going to do because, you know, they did that PS4 remote play thing that they brought out. So, like, you can use your right. phone and just, like, you know, play off your phone if you want to. But I don't know if it's the market. I still feel like there's a strong market for um, just a home console that just sets there. You know, right. like right. like Nintendo has that that segment and stuff like that. I could see maybe Xbox. I mean, Xbox is trying to get in that game, but they're also probably not going to do the same thing where it's, like, a thing that doubles as a console and not a console because like still with playstation a lot of what they live off of is like raw power like graphic fidelity and stuff like that and you just can't do that with a portable console i know? Really understand. so that's 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 difficult but i think i think they'll definitely have they might release another device potentially but i think they're in a good position because they have the psvr and because the psvr set themselves for so set themselves up so well mm-hmm. for future success and is doing better than expected um, that they should do some kind of some kind of deal where I'm hoping the next PSVR generation is cordless doesn't require connection to uh, the device they they did say that um, well they said that there's a possibility that the wire is still going to be there but you know how the PSVR has that box that comes with it that basically you have to run it through the box and then run in the thing the PSVR is going to have that box basically built into the PS PlayStation so that'll cut that out so all you're going to have to do is then just hook up your PSVR to the system Right. I'm hoping they do some of the cameras so that those are better ideally what they'll do is just put the cameras the sensors on the exterior of the headset and then all you need is a move controllers Oculus uh, Oculus is doing that, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the Oculus um, Rift S is going to be where there's no sensors required in the room. You think they'll change the the move controllers? I hope so. They're they're great. No, they're terrible. Yeah, I, I I've seen prototypes of a design of them that kind of look like the HTC Vive original arm controllers, but it's different but still kind of similar where they're kind of like hand grips mm-hmm. that have like a thing on the top of them right. for sensors. So I, I think they're definitely going to redesign that. So well, I'm excited about the VR because it needs to be upgraded. Obviously it's a pretty good experience, especially when it first came out. I think it was the better of the three, but now the Oculus has really kind of moved the envelope. They're probably the better of the experiences, but obviously it's more accessible if you get a, PSVR, and then for them having better uh, graphics within the actual um, headset itself, and then you have better load times. You can have ray tracing in it. Like that's that's gonna be awesome. That's sick, yeah, yeah. Like I cannot wait. Like I'll probably I might get one. It depends what kind of games come out with it and what oh, they're I'm able totally to accomplish. One. Oh, you mean a headset? Yeah, I might yeah, actually yeah, get yeah. one. Yeah, I mean if they have multiple stuff. Like what is the one? Uh, What's the game that came out? Firewall or something? By oh, yeah. Fi- Fire, Firewall or Firestorm Zero Hour. Yeah. Yeah. Like have something like that where it's online and you can play with your friends. You know, hardly any lag between connecting devices. I'm down. Yeah. I mean, what's not to like about that? And then I, I wonder if they'll actually have base stations or just still go with the camera because I don't like the way that they have the camera set up. Like just to track you in the in the world. Right, know? right. And yeah, I guess I guess with the Oculus, well, that's it a, does yeah. track you in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's headset. just built in with headset. Yeah, so I'm hoping yeah. they just do that rather than trying to like, you know, fit in that middle ground. Just like spend the time to make it to where it's built in the headset, and then you can you take away the need to even have a camera because that's the biggest limitation that PSVR is that that camera's viewport is so minimal. Like you can't like games like Beat Saber and stuff like that just aren't as doable because of the fact that 
you know, you have a limited space. You can't crouch down real low and you mm. can't go up real high. Right. Because it can't see that that field of view. Right, right. So hopefully they build in a headset and can make that work well. That'd be sick. I mean, if Oculus sick. can do it. <laughs> I think PlayStation's got it in the back. Yeah, no, <laughs> it should sure. not be that much harder. No, but then no, again, I mean, how, how much is Oculus going for again? The new one? Uh, three ninety nine. Three ninety nine. How much was the PSVR? Uh, I think it's like two nine, two nine nine, one nine nine. Uh, low, fully loaded with all the shit. I think it was like two nine nine, maybe two fifty or three fifty. Something. Like I don't that. remember. It's not much different now. Yeah. Like the Oculus Rift is pretty close in price. It's like a hundred, hundred fifty dollars difference, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like they really did a good job like dropping that price down the Oculus Rift. Now the Oculus Quest, I think it's almost the same price as or it might be the same price as the PSVR. So they have some adjustments to do for sure. I want to see what the PSVR bundle is right now. Yeah. I know we're talking about the PlayStation Five, but I think having this a lot launch alongside it was, uh, I think it's a big part of the conversation for sure. It just it's just gonna make everything so much better. Like, what they I, shouldn't do is do what Connect did and like bundle the Connect with it. Like, do not bundle a PSVR headset. Not that the, I mean, I feel like that would be crazy because you'd have like an eight hundred dollar purchase you'd be buying. But um, so yeah. if you go to Best Buy and you get a PS PSVR bundle, you get Borderlands Two VR and uh, Beat Saber along with the. What do you call it? What are the sticks called again? Move controllers. Move controllers and a PlayStation uh, camera. It is currently 350 Okay. That is not bad. No, that's not bad. You get two games and all that. Like, that's not bad at all. And then the games aren't that expensive, if I'm not mistaken. No, they're not. They're they're cheaper. I mean, like, Beat Saber is 20 bucks. Bam. Yeah. I don't know how much Borderlands 2 VR is, but... Yeah. I mean, you you have a decent amount of games, even if you just got your PlayStation just to play VR. Yeah. I mean, it's a hell of an investment. I mean, it's right. basically buying a good, uh, decently high-end PC, I feel like. Yeah. So, it's just whatever you want, man. Yeah. But, yeah, I think PlayStation 5 is going to be awesome. If they maintain the exclusivity, you know, the exclusives coming out for it, I think that's really important. Um, and just, yeah, like the... Keep getting better graphics, improve the UI even more. Like I think there's some stuff now that leaves some room for to be desired. They're talking like two terabyte hard drives. I almost feel like you need more than that even nowadays. Like isn't that what they have in there right now? Uh huh. One terabyte. They just have one. Oh, okay. yeah. PS4 Pro's got one terabyte. At least it's two. <laughs> it's better than one. Yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming you can still connect. The yeah, hard drives you know, to connect it. hard drives. So to it, if yeah. you need more room, you can. You can but, have it. We're talking solid state now, so it's got to be loaded on the solid state drive. So, but actually, it'll be a two terabyte solid state, I think. Yeah, it'd have to be. Yeah, well, because the load crazy. times, the, the the for the load times to be affected, you have to have it on a solid state drive for right. it to improve those speeds. So, right. they're going to be loading those games on the solid state for sure. So it would be otherwise you'd be back to like the fifteen seconds instead of the zero point eight seconds. Hey, I'm just kind of happy that they're having backwards compatibility at this point. Yes, backwards compatibility is there too, so that's pretty sweet. There's a lot of stuff. Anyway, let's move on to the next story because yep. we've been talking on this one for like too long already. 
Um, Shit. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, thanks a lot, Austin. Yeah, Gosh, my bad. Like, I got excited, forever, okay? All right. So, uh, speaking of new consoles, though, uh, we're going to go through this quickly, but Microsoft's new Xbox One S console is $250 and doesn't have a disc reader in it. So, uh, I thought they were going to wait on announcing this, but no, they just like said, hey, by the way, we have an all-digital Xbox One S. And I feel like the branding on this is really shitty. Like, it just says Xbox One S and then under it, all digital. It's like, okay, cool. And it's still $249. So, there's no disc. It's a little bit cheaper than an Xbox, but it's an Xbox One S, which I think some of them are really selling for like $199 now, aren't they? So, I don't understand why this is like, I don't get it. It's just a weird, weird positioning for this. But it's it's not an X. It's an Xbox One S. Right. It's just, it's strange to me. But if it was 150 I think that's perfect. Or even 200 I, I think I mean, that's kind of pushing it. You got yeah. no disc. Obviously, you can play games. Not going to play them in 4K. I mean, I think they're just trying to keep up with the marketplace because a Switch is still 300 so for fifty dollars less, you get an Xbox, which I okay, it kind of makes sense. I don't know, I don't know. I wouldn't buy it. Obviously, I'm trying to like if I was somebody, it makes a good present for a kid, you know. Yeah, but I mean, like price wise, here you know, I'm trying to pull up what the price is here. So if you buy an Xbox One S, that is just an Xbox One S, like straight up out of the box. They don't even have it on here where you can just buy it out of the box. Um, here, you can buy an Xbox One S with two controllers for $299. Controller is $50 by itself. And they're selling the... So the the digital edition without a disc isn't cheaper. It's actually more expensive. You can buy an Xbox One S with the Division 2 with the disc on it for $249 right now. So why so. would you why would you buy an Xbox an all digital edition for two forty nine when you can buy one that has a disc on it, the same size hard drive for the same price, and you get the division two? Like the the brand the marketing on this is, is stupid. It's absolutely stupid. Like it just kind of seems like they're phasing out. The you're Xbox. you're cutting out the ability for you to buy discs, physical games, but you're not getting a cheaper version. You're paying they're the just, same price. They're just replacing it. That's what they're doing. That's it. They're just replacing the disc. They want. They're trying to move to all digital models, so they don't have to. I know, but it's like, discs. but still, it just it comes back to the oh, fact they're doing agree. that. But it's just, I completely agree. There's it's, only it's stupid. Like it there's stupid. no there's no reason for doing that unless well, you're going to make reason. it cheaper. There is a reason. Well, yeah, there's a all reason. Digital, but then, if like it's not a buy-in though, like nobody's going to buy this. It's not going to sell because it's, well, I mean, they, like, what's the appeal of, like, the disc? The well, disc yeah, one. right. Or like, for right it. now, like, to get somebody to buy this oh, yeah, to make right it now. feasible, yeah, like, that's what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, if you want people, if you want to convince people that the all digital is the way to go, there's got to be a reason for it. You just took out my disc and you're charging the same price. Actually, you're charging more than this, than a system that has a disc in it. Why would I not buy the disc version versus yeah. this? There's no benefit. Oh yeah, I don't have to have a disc on it. Well, I don't have to have a disc. I don't have to use a disc drive on the Xbox uh, One S at all yeah, anyway. And I get two controllers. I have and a, a, game. a terabyte hard drive already. This is a terabyte hard. There's no difference. Stupid. Stupid. I mean, if if the Xbox One S or the Xbox One line still had some life in it, then yeah, that kind of makes sense. So they want to phase it out, but they're about to move to the next generation. Why would they even deal with this? Yeah. 
I mean, I guess this might be the last thing sitting around when the new gen comes out, next gen comes out. I don't know. I guarantee you, eventually, this is probably what's all all that's going to be left of this. Oh yeah, this, for sure. This generation. Yeah. This. Maybe maybe the. I mean, they're going to get to that point, but if they're like trying to sell that, it just doesn't make. It's just a no. bad choice on their part. Anyway, so Super Smash Brothers is uh has a new update version 3.0 the biggest update to it a couple big updates to it um new character joker who is the uh the opposite of the hero in persona 5 Mm -hmm. so that is there um a lot of people have been giving their feedback on this in like facebook groups and stuff like that saying that Joker is cool, but it's kind of hurt the meta of the game right now because one, everybody wants to play Joker, and then they also think that Joker is too powerful. So I actually agree. I know nothing about the meta of the game. Just watching the video, yeah. and what he can do, I'm like, damn, he does a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, like the, especially the one where uh, uh, did you watch the whole thing? No, uh, no. Okay, well, he has a whip or some kind of like rope thing, and he can jump down like pretty far, almost like dying type, and then he can hit the edge of the map or the platform and catch himself and hang there. Oh, no way. So like you can't really hit him. That's fucked up. Unless you're going to go down and risk killing yourself, which if you go too far down, you're just going to kill yourself, right? That's kind of dumb, though, because no other character can do that. I know. And so then he can just grapple back up there or grapple back up, and then, you know, he's good. Does that mean he can't double jump, though? Like, you know how, like, every character has got, like, the up B maneuver? Yeah, because if he didn't have that, I could see that because it's like a win-loss. Like, yeah, you can like grab back up and re- reach up there, but then you can't like double jump if you get like knocked super far out. So like if you're beyond the point of being able to like reach out your rope or whatever, I could see that being a Well, you could be really far benefit. out, but the thing is it goes pretty far. Yeah. So you could be pretty far out there and still grab the edge, you know, Yeah. if you wanted to. That's the thing. It's crazy. It's a big radius. Um, and then his obviously he has that char- like some of the characters have the charge meter. Yeah. So once you get that, you can unlock your your uh, uh, persona. Yeah. And he does some pretty powerful stuff. So. Gotcha. He has an interesting block too. <clears throat> so you know how some characters can like do a little block stance, and so like it does apparently it does half damage. But if you're able to time that right. And you let go, you can hit the guy, you can stun the guy and throw him back. Yeah. Your attacker. And I'm like, damn, that's, that's powerful. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, well, in addition to that, that's paid DLC. They also added a stage builder. So as we reported last week, there is a stage builder <laughs> here. Uh, one of the first stages that came out is uh, somebody made a stage that has a penis in the background. Oh, great. So it doesn't surprise me there. Yeah. Um, what did they think was going to happen? I know, right? There's also a video editor. So as you like get your, uh, you know, you record yourself playing some games, you can actually edit your video like in game and uh, share that stuff online. They also did a lot of stuff to the mobile app, which is interesting. So players can take a look at other user made videos and custom stages that the community creates using the video editor and stage builder and the best thing about it is you'll be able to view these community created stages and then click a button to queue them up to download your home console so say you're sitting at work and you're like i'm gonna see what stages are available you can like just swipe through it on your phone click and click a few of them and like download them and they'll be ready to go when you get back to your home console or if it's with you all the time like it is with me it's in your you know backpack or what have you um you can also rate the stages so the best ones could surface to the top so like it's kind of like how uh, well, in any place it has custom stage editors, like when Far Cry 5 came out and they have the st- level editor there, yeah. people voted for their favorites and it oh, yeah. r- rose up the rank. So 
we might, you know, maybe we'll do an event sometime where we feature Super Smash, but like with user generated stages. That could be kind of cool. So, yes, that'd be awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, so check that out. It's pretty exciting. Austin, you excited? You still playing a lot, uh, of, a lot of Smash? No, but when we had it at our event uh, the other Sunday, I just, it, it felt so natural to jump back in it. Like I have a, it's funny, like you, you play a little bit, you feel like you know nothing, and then you come back, you're like, oh, Oh yeah, that starts making sense now. Right. Like I just it was so easy to jump in. I was actually getting some kills. Like I was timing things right. Like I know certain characters now that I'm really comfortable with. Love it, man. I man, love it. I was playing the other day. So we had a pop up event at Hop Fusion uh last week with Friend Info Board Game Cafe here in Fort Worth. Shout out to Corey for uh uh bringing us along for that one. And uh we were playing some Smash, me and him. We're just going back and forth as the night was coming to a close. And I was so pissed. I'm sitting there playing the game and I'm trying to be all cool and like jumping off the edge of the level and then trying to like jump back in. Yeah. And then I was like missing my, my cues and stuff. And I killed my, like one, we were playing four stocks and I killed myself three times, um, just by jumping off the edge and falling to my death. So he's just like standing there just like, all right, well, whenever you're ready to fight, I'll be over here, you know, like standing around like, Son of a bitch. Like, he just yeah, it was so, so bad, but That's that was my own fault. And then It happens, yeah. man. It happens. Yeah, it's terrible. I'm telling you. Anyway, so uh, another story we have. This is kind of a kind of a bummer. So last week, I don't, I'm sure you guys probably all saw about this. One of the big stories in the news was that the Notre Dame uh, Cathedral in France uh, caught on fire due to some construction and uh, suffered some severe damages. Um, this building has been around for centuries, forever. Um, I think it's one of the oldest buildings. Yeah, one it's in the very, world. Very, very old, very gorgeous, both inside and out. And um, Ubisoft came out and announced that they are going to be donating uh, about five hundred sixty-five thousand dollars, uh, five hundred thousand euros, as what the total was, to aid the restoration and reconstruction efforts for Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame. I don't know how you pronounce that. I probably yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's better that time. Yeah. Um, so in addition to that, they're also giving away Assassin's Creed Unity for free. So if you missed out on that game, a lot of people didn't like it at first. Um, but I think people kind of grew to like it a little bit more later on. But it took place in France, and they actually have a very faithful reconstruction of Notre Dame inside this. And apparently there's stories that I've read that they're actually going to use um, some of these games to use as reference points for the rebuild in a way because they are so meticulously re- recreated. That's cool. Before this thing broke down, that right. they have this stuff to reference and use. Right. Um, so from now and through April 25th, which by the time you listen to this podcast, you'll have two days left. You can get Unity for free. And uh, once you download it, it's yours to keep forever. Um, and uh, that's pretty awesome. It's on PC, I believe, specifically. Well, I might have to do that then. Me too. Yeah, because I mean, I heard it's actually a pretty, pretty good game. And this is like After before the they like changed everything. So, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah I heard very they, bad things. I mean, no, before they changed uh, like the fundamentals of Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed to make it more like RPG focused and stuff like that. So this is like the last game that they had before they like switched gears and stuff. Well, hopefully, all the bugs are gone. Yeah, no, I think I think they are, but um, so it's pretty cool to see that they're uh they're doing this. I mean, that was a cool effort for them to to I think donate to it because I think that's a fantastic building. Like 
whether you're religious or not, you know, I mean, it's a Catholic church and stuff like that. But I just, as far as architecture goes, it's just, I mean, it's a part of history, you know, it's, it's been there for, for years and years and years. And it's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a staple, it's a icon in Paris and in, yes. in, in their, in their history and their culture. And I think it's the fact that they did this is a, is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> would have thought games would have been such, so good in a, di- in a different way. Yeah, no, for sure. Playing them, um, yeah. So, in addition to that, what was kind of interesting is that you know we've been hearing about all these uh, these games getting like review bomb, like after they go to Epic Games or whatever, like right, right. you know Metro and Borderlands and whatnot. Assassin's Creed Unity is getting the opposite; it's getting reverse review bomb with positivity since this happened. So, um, you know, it was pretty negative. People didn't like it with a lot of the stuff, mixed reviews. Um, many of them posted back in the day, but recently since they made it free and after what they did with Notre Dame and everything, um, people have been reviewing it and it's actually, um, in the past 24 hours, it's gotten a lot of awesome reviews. One person said, I played the game after Ubisoft has fixed all of its issues. That being said, the positivity brought by this game in light of the tragic event with the Notre Dame Cathedral makes me proud to have played this game. Another person said, quote, I hope this game will be able to help the reparation of Notre Dame uh, although it's not a good game for everybody, it seems like, but Ubisoft paid much efforts to this, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, uh, it's doing better on Steam because of this. So that <laughs> was kind good. of cool to I, see. I'm happy for them. The opposite effect happening. Opposed so. to Gearbox and Randy Pitchford attacking fans and stuff. Yeah, that was kind of messed up. But <sighs> We didn't really talk about that, did we? No, not really. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Randy Pitchford was basically saying, like, y'all are crazy, like, you where we stand by our stance and because you guys are arguing about it, it makes us feel even better about well, maybe we should give the clear picture that they're going specifically or they're launching on on epic game store first people got upset so they review bomb borderlands 2 and then randy pitchford's like well maybe we should just do all of our games on epic store because we hate steam for all the stuff that's happening and it's just like look people need a place to do some public outcry because they're upset about your decisions that's what it comes to. And then you get good PR like this, and then you get good review bomb. So yeah. do good things. Make the yep, fans yeah. happy. Yeah. I don't they, know. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say they don't like Steam. He said they just didn't like... He was well, they're upset unappreciative with Steam. of the fans for doing what they did. Well, he said he's upset with Steam because the way that they have implemented... Because review bombs used to be a problem, but actually Steam has fixed it, and I guess he doesn't know that. So you can actually take out... So Steam goes in... Looks at right. if there's a bunch of people reviewing th- at the same time, and if it's very if it's bit negative, then they have you know they go in there and be like yeah, from this point this out. time yeah doesn't affect the score right if you don't want it to, and so apparently Randy Pitchford didn't know about that or something. Wait, why does he not like that though? That's a good thing for him. Yeah, but he didn't. He doesn't know that or something because the way that he his comment was was he doesn't like Steam and he'd rather do he's going to talk to the people to actually. Uh, at Gearbox or whoever is, uh, who, I forgot who's publishing it. Gearbox is publishing it because okay. it's a Gearbox. They're a publishing house. Ah, yeah. Here, let's just look up the quote. Yeah, I don't think that's entirely accurate because there it was. Is. I it think is accurate. it was. Uh, I mean, that just doesn't make sense though. Like, why would you hate on them for? Why would you hate on Steam for that? Because Steam's doing you a, a good thing, not a bad thing. Okay, no. So like reviewing this again, like you're actually right about this. Like he really didn't um you know 
understand how this works. So he's reacting to the fact that, so what ended up happening was, so I was thinking that he re, they review bombed other things, but basically what they did was they review bombed the older games, Borderlands one and two and people review bombed it. So he was reacting to the fact that they did that, but I don't think he fully understood or realized that, uh, Steam had already taken care of this problem recently and put in a system in place that although it will get review bombed, those reviews eventually get mitigated and taken out and adjusted to op topic reviews essentially. And it doesn't affect the final score. So he responded to it without realizing that, Oh yeah, this does affect the score. So it's kind of weird and crazy, but I mean, people need a way to get, you know, get some, they need a way to get their voices heard. Yeah, and sometimes this is the only way to do it because if they don't, who's going to listen to them? Yeah, no, I agree. And, so, and I mean, I still kind of defend. I mean, I think the way that people are reacting to the Epic Games exclusivity is a little bit over the top, but I don't think that it's unwarranted because, like the other day, for example, I was looking for, I was going to go buy World War Z, right? And I didn't realize it was an Epic Game Store exclusive. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking through Steam. I'm like, it's not here. So I go on Epic Games Store because I was like, well, it's probably an exclusive. So I go in there and there's no search feature in this thing. There's no way to leave reviews. There is no easy way to see like a list of screenshots and things like that. I mean, yeah, they have the screenshots laid out at the bottom and stuff like that, but you can't blow them up bigger. You can only see them in like a, sl- a carousel and they have more down below that. So there's a lot of issues in the way. And there's no wish list. Like, so if I'm like, I want to buy this game later on, but I don't want to buy it right now. You can't like, there's so many features that are just missing that should be there already. And I agree with that. Like completely, like there's this software as I think it looks nice from a UI perspective, but it's fundamentally flawed in that there's so many features, quality of life features that are missing from it that just should be there by default. Um, yeah. So kind of sucks. It does suck. I just want choice and it pisses me off that I can't have it. Yeah. It's pissing me off so much. I'm getting Borderlands 3 for PS4. I'm not playing it on PC. Oh shit, really? Yeah, I'm not playing it on PC. Damn I, it. I'm just I'm not doing it. I've supported it. It looks so good. Enough. I'm not doing it. It looks so good. I already made up my mind. I mean you're still given, but I mean that doesn't like you're still getting it. So it doesn't really solve the problem. Well, Epic Game Store won't take any of that cut. Well, that's true, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I get it. Steam needs to do something to kind of bring some of this, some of these games back, but I just can't, I can't support them. All right. So last story we have before we move on to our awesome, exciting interview that we have coming up here with Jeff Stevens from D and D fame. Um, Go we have a story from Twitch. Actually, uh, there's a guy, his name is Ben Castle. He goes by the name of co carnage. Um, did something that few people can say that they've done. He streamed a portion of each day for 2,000 consecutive days. Now, if y'all don't know this, there's 365 days in a year, right? So this would mean that this is almost six years of consecutive streaming every single day. Every single day. Through births, illnesses, holidays, he was online going through it. It was insane. There was one point where he was battling an illness. It brought to him to the point where he brought the camera with him in the bathroom because he couldn't get away from the toilet because he was throwing up so much. What the? 
And uh, so he started doing this in 2013 with over 1 million followers. This is a story on Kotaku if y'all want to look this up. Um, he streamed at least once a day uh, without missing a single one. That's more than five years without a day off. At the end of the stream on the streak, he was overcome with emotion as he read a message from his community monitors. Um, and uh, he felt so sad and excited and like just full of emotion. And uh, he was like, I don't know what to do tomorrow. Like, this has been six years of my life. Like, how do I handle this? Um, so he used to work in IT and then he was like, I'm going to start streaming instead. So <laughs> he got his groove going. He tried for a time to play a funny voice character inspired by radio DJs. Didn't work for him. After that, he was just like, I'm just going to be myself and stream every day for six months. Well, after six months, he was like, let's just keep it going. And then, then next, thing you know, 2000 days later, he's still streaming every single wow. day. Wow. Um, it's insane though. So like, I mean, literally birthdays, holidays, he did stream parties for New Year's Eve and did countdowns. He'd stream from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sometimes he'd do marathons. Like he played Dragon's Prophet for 36 hours straight. Ugh. Like all these things. He'd travel. He'd stream at least 30 minutes before dragging himself into his hotel bed. He uh, had his baby poop. Like he had a baby during this time. Like it was <laughs> just all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, that's insane. Like, that's that's a lot and these people grew up with him i feel like he probably built like a close connection with these people because like that's that six years is a long ass time you know i mean look how crazy this is when his child was born he didn't stream at the hospital but uh but he did stream that day and while he was at the hospital his viewers were still in his twitch chat wishing him well and he said even though i wasn't online i was getting pages of chat every minute there were people in there chatting uh, Rowan or chanting Rowan, my son's name. It was basically just the amalgamation of good vibes that went on for almost 24 hours straight. It was incredible. Isn't that crazy? What? Communities, man. What like, world do we live in right people, now? People need to be part of a community. And uh, yeah, it's it's wild. Like it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, he said on April 7th, he took his first day off since he started his streak in 2013. He spent a big chunk of his family, and he also played a video game, EverQuest. So he went back and was like, all right, it's awesome. Nice. So, nice. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So if you all want to read this, uh, Nathan Grayson wrote wrote this whole story. It's on Kotaku. Just look through Twitch Streamer, 2000 Days. And uh, it's just it's fascinating. Like, this is this is a culture we live in now. Like, people stream. They make a living out of it. I mean, it's there's so many things that you see now about how this impacts people's lives and changes their, them th their things. Like I was listening to a podcast today about a lady who is on Patreon. Um, she's an author and, uh, or no, she's, she's not an author. She's a musician. And she said she has 15,000 Patreon subscribers um, for her work that she does musically. And uh, she said that she re had a miscarriage and um, she was amazed at how supportive her, her like her community rallied around her during yeah. this time oh, of yeah. grief, you know, and like the loss of a child and all this stuff. And uh, it's just it's crazy. Like that's what we want. That we love to have have like we want to build that kind of community where like everybody can be a part of something bigger and greater, and you know feel welcome and you know um, comfortable, you know, in a a safe space, I guess you could say, right. of gamers right. who are just casual people. Like, just want to hang out and meet people and chat about 
video games and bullshit a little bit. And I, I always bring up the story. You know, one of the first guys to come out to our event, if not the first guy, was Scott, and now he's one of our good friends. Yeah, it's, I mean that's awesome. So cool. Never would have thought we would make friends off of this, but yeah, you know, we've made a lot of friends actually. Oh yeah, a lot of yeah. good friends. Scott, Andrew, David. Um, even Joe, you know, Joe, yeah. Joe's been yeah. with us since the beginning. Um, just a, a ton of great people. Um, Parker, I, Parker. Yeah. Parker. Um, I met, I met some people the, this weekend. We've had some people that have been coming regularly to our local, our more recent events, uh, Aaron. And I believe his name was Max. Um, they've been to the last like three events that we've had and I've haven't spoken with them significantly. And I sat down with them at Hub Fusion at that event we chatted for a good hour and they're like division two players on xbox like they're big into division two so yeah, yeah it was really cool to sit there and just like talk about that stuff and yeah. um just learn more so thank you to everybody who listens and follows us and comes to our events it it's really exciting to yeah it means to a lot to us here we hope we feedback. can hope we can be better friends in the future oh yeah after all this sure. craziness of trying to set all this stuff up goes away because <laughs> yep. it is crazy oh yeah it takes a lot of work oh yeah so with that said, that's going to wrap up our news segment for this week. If you want to watch some of these uh, discussions in video format, you can head over to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the inner gamer um, and make sure you subscribe to get the videos as they come out. Um, stay tuned for our discussion topic. We have Jeff Stevens on talking about writing campaigns and adventures for Dungeons and Dragons. And it's a really exciting interview. He's a super cool guy. Uh, so stay tuned for that. You don't want to miss it. And uh, there's a giveaway at the end. So make sure you listen to the whole thing because you could win uh, some, some gift certificates for getting your own D&D adventure. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to The Inner Gamer. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Each week, we break down a hot topic in the gaming industry, and today, we actually have not only a hot topic in the gaming industry, we have an awesome guest in the gaming industry, specifically tabletop role-playing games with uh, Jeff Stevens. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Glad to be on. Yeah, so uh, we found out about you through, um, you just reached out to us online on our website, and you do a lot of uh, DMing. You've been playing D&D for a while. You write your stories. So first question I want to know is just tell us a little bit about yourself, like what you do, where you're from, and uh, your love for D&D a little bit. Sure. Um, uh, by day, I work in the financial industry in an operations area, so I'm you know in the, in the, not very customer-related there. Yep. Uh, but at, at night and on the weekends, I write D&D, um, Dungeons & Dragons Adventures, and I produce supplements of, uh, you know, I go out and um, hire artists, cartographers, uh, writers to put uh, together large supplements for me and uh, sell them on the DMs Guild, the Dungeon Masters Guild. Um, been playing. I started playing D and D in probably the early '80s. Uh, played up and through college. Graduated about 1994, and kind of threw, put through the dice away. Sold my books and thought I was done with it. Uh, a few years ago, my brother came to me when Fifth Edition came out and said, "Hey, some of my guys from work uh, want to start playing D and D again. You want to join in?" I said, sure, I'll give it a try. And so my first uh, um, character in the fifth edition was a half-orc ranger and uh, loved it. Had a good time. Never DM'd before. When that campaign was up, I started DMing. Had my notes written down from the uh, campaign that I had started, which was based off of all Metallica song titles. 
And from there, I found the Dungeon Masters Guild, saw some people were creating third-party content, and decided to give it a shot. And I've got about 18 products up now, and it's been a lot of fun. Love playing D&D. I have yeah. to say, Ranger's a great class, because that's what I usually I, play. <laughs> yeah, I, it's probably... My, I love bards. Uh, I had a great time with paladins, but if I were to fall back, I would probably fall back to ranger too. I mean, yeah. you, can't Always beat, you can't beat horde breaker. And then with that double attack, adding on right. horde breaker, exactly. it's like, exactly. Well, because we just went to um, one of the breweries around here. They have a D and D night and I That's was awesome. playing uh, <laughs> a ranger and the guy had lined up four enemies for me. And I just went down the row and just obliterated everybody with Horde Breaker. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yep. Anyway, side note. That's pretty cool. So um, going back to like the early, early days, you said you were playing D&D back in the like early 90s and stuff like that, and then took a break for a while and then came back to a fifth edition. What was that transition like having played? Like what, what edition was it you were playing back <clears throat> in the original days? Uh, I ended with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. That's where so they I didn't stopped. have like, I guess, an edition label per se at that time. Not at that time, okay. no. And then it came out, I think, was it, did they come out with second edition? I know they had third edition, fourth edition, um, and then fifth edition. And we actually started playing just before, or when fifth edition came out, we were still finishing up a 4E campaign that uh, we did like three weeks or so. And that was really involved. So there was a bunch of cards that you had to have and a bunch of extra feats and this type of thing, that type of thing to, to track and your pluses and minuses. And when fifth edition came out, they got rid of all, all of that. They simplified so much of it with just the advantage and disadvantage system that just speeds up combat and uh, the whole game yeah. so well. I enjoy it. I know other people like third and fourth edition, but never having had that much time involved in those editions, fifth edition has been great. And yeah. it was so easy to just move back into it after that much time off. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, because – yeah, go ahead. Fifth edition is a great if you're gonna start D and D, you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, any tabletop role playing game. Fifth edition is set up to make it easy for you to do that. Um, they did a great job redesigning the product, and it's just uh, so easy to get people involved in it. I think. Yeah, because yeah. for us getting into it, at least for me, I was very reluctant because I was like, I have to act like my character. Like this is stupid. Right? <laughs> That's like, the I, best part. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And then as you get into it, it's like, wow, there's like pretty deep storytelling in here, and the way that the DM can really lay out, you know, the adventure is pretty awesome and you can't find that experience anywhere else. And I'm glad that they have this five E because obviously everyone's getting into it now and it's just so accessible. And, and yeah, I've heard, you know, some old heads being like, Oh yeah, like three, th third edition or fourth edition or whatever. And that's the way you should do it because of certain mechanics or whatever. But you know, like yeah. kind of what you're doing, in a way is, you know, you could still bring some of that back in and modify 5e to your own liking. And like, that's awesome. Yeah. The, I think even the creators of Dungeons and Dragons say the rules are just there for you to use as a guidepost. You can do whatever you want with the game. Right. Yeah. That, that's definitely what I've, I've learned because we've had, now we've played with two separate dungeon masters and our, the first, the first time we played was with our, our friend Devin. He used to be on the podcast with us and he, He's been playing for I think fifteen years or something like that. Through he started with third edition, I believe, and then switched to fifth edition. And uh, he's got his own like story campaign he's built. He hasn't sold any of it or anything like that. He's just written stories that's been inspired from different things. But um, playing with him and then transitioning over to our new DM, who's more more new, but he's a lot more um, I guess forgiving in a way. 
And well, actually, sometimes he's forgiving, and sometimes he I wants to like, completely kill us. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, he likes to kill us a lot in many situations. But it's just interesting to see the dynamics change just from DM to DM, and how um, how much it it uh, can just be a completely different experience. Like you can have a really awesome DM that makes that experience awesome and amazing and super fruitful with every adventure you have, and then you can have one that just doesn't really fully get it. So. <laughs> Having having been a DM yourself for a while, like what what do you feel like makes a good DM? That is so hard. I think uh, <laughs> basically, there's so many things you want to do as a DM. You know, you want to you want to give a good story. You want to uh, make sure that the fights are interesting, that type of thing. You want to keep your players involved. I think just listening to the players, you know, and watching their um, their actions and their attitude throughout the game as you're playing. If you see them starting to doze off because something's boring, change it up. You know, um, go go a different way. Add something to it to to kind of make it a little more exciting for them. Also, bringing in their backstories. If you've got some characters, your your, your characters have uh, backstories to them. You know, there's parents or siblings or uh, a long lost love that they still search for. Bring that into the game and make that connection to them. Uh, other than that, just good cooperative storytelling, um, run off of what they say, what they do and, you know, guide them when you need to, but otherwise let them run the game. That's basically what our DM right now is doing. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. People think that people think that DMs are there to run the game. Um, no, we're there to herd you. (laughs) Yeah. Keep you, keep you in a, it's your game. Um, we're just there to, to put the the obstacles in your way and, and see what you do with the world. Who's do you know that guy who's who did that uh, how the D and D series? Um, Matt Colville. Yes, that guy. I, I kind of yeah. dove into that, and you know he has I don't know how many like over a hundred episodes of yeah. this, and how he like kind of thinks of DMing is mind blowing. I didn't realize because you know for, look new to the game, looking from the outside, it's just like in, you yeah. control the game and how. And my idea of like how I would DM is completely different than how he kind of sets it up. And it's just kind of mind blowing how much control that you actually give to the players. Yeah, that's, I mean, Matt Colville's series is great. I think there's a bunch of them on YouTube. Any, anybody out there who's playing D&D or wants to DM or just wants to learn more about the game should go out there and check it out. Um, but yeah, the thing about DMing is, you know, it's let the players do what they want. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun when the players get to interact, and you see their smiles, and or something really cool happens to them, um, and, and you know to see that carry over even to the next day, or or get a text message, man, that was so awesome last night. You know, um, that's what makes me happy as a DM. Yeah. Now, how how do you come about? I mean, because you're you're ultimately there's moments where you're setting up a scene um, to like I, I feel like to help a player be as creative as they can be with the scenarios that they're handed at you. There's still a lot that comes from the DM and how they, they set up a scene and how they set up the pathways and everything like that. Like how do you go about coming up with scenarios or ideas, creating your own stories that allow that kind of player freedom to, to happen? So I feel like it's not just, you know, the players can do a lot of it for sure, but I think still a lot of that attributes to the DM and how he, lays out each he or she lays out each scenario and set up leading into a campaign. So it's like, yeah, does that make sense? It does. It does. Um, yeah. How do you keep your players from ruining what you've written? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. 
what you've prepared. Yeah. Um, that's, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm, I might write adventures or uh, supplements that suggest this happen, give you details about the layer or the map of the area that they're in, uh, state that this happens if they do this, but they could go a whole separate route. And that's where the DM comes into play is, uh, you know, they know the rules mostly and they can just kind of wing it and go from there knowing what else is going on in the area and the, and the documents that have been written or the preparation. Yeah. Um, you know, no one can, can, uh, you could, you could have a trap dungeon. Okay. Full of traps set to kill your players and the players decide, Oh, we're going to go to the uh, village, buy a bunch of sheep, goat and, 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 uh, chickens, throw them into the dungeon, let them trip all the traps first. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, who 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 thinks of that as they're writing? <laughs> right. I don't. <laughs> right. But I, I read that I think on a Facebook page uh, recently, and I'm like, that's brilliant. You know, I mean, I'm going to save that for the next time I play. <laughs> yeah. One of our guys that we played with one time was a uh, uh, what was his what was uh, shoot I can't remember what what class he played, but he had a boatload of ball bearings in his bag. Oh, he was he, a he was a wood elf uh, rogue. Yeah, Rogue, that's right. And he would just like, before anytime we entered into a dungeon, because he knew how this dungeon or this DM would like play, set up his dungeons, he would just throw like a shit ton of ball bearings in there. And he had so many of them in his back because we had like a, a bag of holding thing or whatever. And he would just like throw these things out there and just find all the traps and reveal them before we'd have to move into a scenario. It was brilliant. Yep. That was just his thing that he would always do. And I just can imagine being a DM being like, son of a bitch, there it goes again. <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> Sometimes as a DM, you just shake your head and you think, what just happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, but now eventually your DM will figure something out for that. Right. You know, the, yeah, if you do it too often. He'll yeah. trick him. He'll fix him somehow. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> right? I, I, love, I love the ad- adaptiveness of it. Like I, I feel like it would be, be super challenging. I mean, just from a Dungeon Master perspective, because it's, it's uh, I mean, you write, a whole story campaign or whatever and then you know it could go derailed off a completely different direction so you have to have those branching it's kind of like you know how video games nowadays are trying to solve that trying to create a D experience and it's really hard for them to do it because you don't really know what the player i mean you can't ever predict what the player is going to do in any situation i mean yeah sometimes they'll be like oh, i'm just going to go down here and kill these guys and just continue to kill these guys but you never know; they might branch off a different direction. Then you have to have a whole narrative path that goes that way instead. Well, that's what the outer world is doing. You can kill every NPC, yeah, even a quest giver. So it's like, well, I guess you ain't completing that quest, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> yeah, and getting back to that whole um, video game side of it, that's the that's the kind of video game that I liked playing when I was uh, playing games. I still play some, yep. though. I find some of the some of the storylines be too involved for me. I don't have a whole lot of time to really get into the story. So I just like to get down there and shoot or do whatever. Um, and I like to play like, uh, MLB games or, uh, NBA games. Those, those things. Yeah. And in the heat of my, my gaming, I was playing a lot of halo. Yeah. Um, you know, we would have land parties. That's going to date me. Mm. Uh, um, didn't have a whole lot of internet playing at that time. Now it's everywhere. Internet play. Um, so it's kind of a sad day. Do what? It's kind of sad that that's come to that because that was kind of like my D and D back in the day. Get together, land party with Halo. Oh yeah, with everybody screaming party with Halo faces. Yeah, we had we had TVs in two separate rooms with four people on each mm. TV playing Halo. It was awesome. Yelling across the room. Oh like, man, yeah. Why did you, you just can't, shoot me? You can't see where the guys camping because we had a lot of campers. You know, oh yeah, just pegging you off there. I'm like, where is he? 
and you hear him laughing from the other room. I got you, you know, <laughs> fun stuff, you know, and that's, you know, and when I was playing D and D, we didn't have any internet game like that. So that's the whole community gaming side there back in the eighties and nineties was getting together and playing Dungeons and Dragons or any other RPG, um, champions, shadow run, cyberpunk, all of those. You know, there's so many different, different types of tabletop role-playing games you can even get into. Dungeons and Dragons is just the most famous. Yeah, definitely. So on the, you mentioned cyberpunk. Um, there's a video game, cyberpunk 2077 coming out, but you've played cause it, cause, cause that was a, that was a tabletop game. Is that, that what mm-hmm. that was? Okay. Yeah. So how was that? Like, how much did you play of that, and what did you think of that game? Played a little bit. Uh, I moved more into Shadowrun. I don't know if you're familiar with Shadowrun at all. Heard of it? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's you know, same type of thing. I think like dystopian or futuristic, yeah. that type of thing. And I yeah. enjoyed both the games. Um, it's been so long ago; I don't remember a whole lot of cyberpunk. But uh, but no, I most of the tabletop RPGs I played from back then, I enjoyed all of them. That's They're awesome. all a lot of fun. Shadowrun being my second favorite after Dungeons and Dragons, Got just it. because I liked that genre. I liked the whole Pacific Northwest, even though I've never been up to Seattle or Oregon or anywhere up there. Um, just that whole feel of the trolls coming back and the elves and the being able to get into the the network and um, having your hackers being able to plug right into it. That whole thing was just a whole lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I'd be cool to check out that cyberpunk game. I just I like a quicker p- a pace of the game, um, but I also like customization. Yeah, the whole idea of Dungeons and Dragons is you can be one of these multiple number of characters with different backgrounds and, and abilities, that type of thing. Right. Um, and so that's what I look for in a game. I don't know if I can if if, if you guys have any suggestions, I'd be glad to hear them. Um, as as to you know, that way you're not the same player over and over or, or every player is not the same character over and over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. Different armor, different spells, different weapons, that type of thing. So, um, that's what I look for in a game. Now I do have red dead redemption too, but I have not even opened it yet. I have not had the time. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Once you start it, like you're going down a rabbit hole. Yeah. That's like a, that's what I'm afraid of. It's, it's, it's long. It's super long. And that's, I mean, that's, that's how we are. We're, I mean, we'd say we're the ca- podcast for the casual gamer because that, that is, I mean, me more so than I think Austin, because Austin plays a little bit more than I do, but or a lot more than I do. Cause I, more. I probably get a couple hours of gaming in a week. Cause it, yeah, it's, it's harder now that we're older, but that's why we wanted to create this was because there's a lot of people that are exactly like us that don't have all that time. So what is worth your time? You know, that's ultimately kind of the idea that, um, we, we, built upon so um but that's why D is so cool because you you don't have to play every single night like you know there's these there's these games as a service games that are out there these days where you're expected to jump on every single night and play with your your people but you can you set up like once a week or like even once a month or something like that you can keep a sit down with your friends for three four hours or whatever play through a really awesome experience. Eight hours. Eight hours, yeah, if you want to get it. Eight hours are good sessions. Those are good sessions. Oh, yeah, yeah. One day we did a uh, we did a uh, charity stream for uh, Extra Life. I don't know if you've heard of Extra Life before. Sure, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we did a 24-hour stream for the Inner Gamer, and we broke down... Um, the we opened with like I think a fifteen hour D and D session. Was it really? I, I think for, it was like it was totally twelve forgot. to fifteen hours. It was it was super long. <laughs> and then after that, we all went into like uh, shifts to <laughs> to run the stream at different places and stuff like that. But oh my gosh, that was a rough it day. Was bad. 
it is fun. Yeah, it's that's, a lot of fun. that's great. I'd love to do that sometime. That that big of a a game and uh, for extra life too. Oh yeah, I had the chance to do that, but it would be a lot of fun. Definitely. Um, and the games, the, the you know, time goes by fast when you're playing too. Oh, totally. Uh, I noticed that, but I recently introduced a couple of my daughter's friends to the game. Um, they're both 13 years old, while my daughter and you know we we played for four hours, and I'm like that was four hours. No way. And, <laughs> you know that is awesome. Like, that's all. That's a great feeling when they can come back with that kind of a response. You know, oh, yeah. they went by fast. That was fun. So, yeah, yeah it's always good to hear these kids or, or any players say that they love it. And, and you know, it. playing D and D now is so easy. I mean, you've got your. I, I prefer face to face, but there's so many online people playing. Um, and and uh, and uh, what are they using? Fancy grounds or Roll Twenty? You know, or just even through yeah. Skype, um, Discord channels. Uh, mm-hmm. People are playing all across the world. Um, and, you know, we could all be playing right now if we wanted to. But uh, that's just so cool about about the whole new new age. But I think a lot of people do prefer playing face to face still. Oh yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, we we've. Uh, I mean, I haven't done personally roll twenty, but we're planning on doing a roll twenty campaign here at some point. But I just love being in the room, looking at each other feeding off of each other's like, you know, facial cues and stuff like that. Like, what yeah. are you about to do? And then yep, exactly. kind of prepare ahead for that. And you obviously don't get that from a, you know, through a screen. So, yeah. um, and for me, like I finally got into the miniature scene where I build them and then paint them and all that stuff. So like having that physical representation of like what's happening in, in the game is really awesome to see opposed to looking at a screen for like eight hours. Right. So. Yeah, I used to paint back in high school too. I had all these miniatures. Back then it was lead, so you get lead poisoning while you're working on painting. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. But uh, you know, when, when we started playing again, I was like, "Well, these bones miniatures. I don't know if you ever seen them, the Reaper miniatures. Oh, yeah. There's oh, yeah, like, we got all plenty. the plastic ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, you know, my buddies were behind them. I'm like, I want to paint these because I used to paint, and so I started buying the paints and painting again. And then I started writing. So now I've got all these paints sitting around that I don't use anymore because I. I Spend too much time writing yeah. uh, Dungeons and Dragons stuff, which is a lot of fun, by the way. I mean, if you're a creative out there, uh, artists, cartographers, uh, writers, anybody that is is listening that is interested in you know creating D and D art maps or stories, go check out these uh, the sites of Drive Through Drive Through RPG or Dungeon Masters Guild, and uh, you know get started. People are always looking for stock art. If you've got the ability to draw, paint, or whatever, um, some characters. And throw them out there on drive through RPG, sell them as stock art. You can make a couple bucks. Who knows? Uh, it might take off really well. I know a lot of people who um, do really well with their art pro- projects on the uh, on those two sites. So just don't think you can't do it. Yeah, definitely. here I am. Here I am, a forty eight year old from uh, you know that used to play D and D back in the eighties and nineties, and you know dreamt one day of writing Dungeons and Dragons stuff, and now I'm living the dream. It's just so easy oh. nowadays, you know? It is. The internet. I mean, just throw your stuff online, yeah. and before you know it, you blow up and get famous and make all the money. So, I'm trying to get famous and make all the money. There you <laughs> go. It's a long process. Oh, yeah. So question a little bit about, uh, you know, curtailing off of that conversation. Uh, you are you sell your stuff primarily on Dungeon Masters Guild. Um, yes. You mentioned Drive-Thru RPG. Do you have anything on there, or just Dungeon Masters Guild? I am just now starting on uh, Drive-Thru RPG, yeah. but... If it's Dungeons and Dragons, I'm going to post on the Dungeon Masters Guild. That's right. because it's the place where people go to look for Dungeons and Dragons stuff now. Right. Um, Drive Through RPG still does Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Um, I have no no evidence to back any of this. This is just my personal opinions. Um, 
but uh, you know that's where you can find your other games like Shadowrun, um, Fifth Edition uh, settings. So along with Dungeons and Dragons, the official setting, um, Forgotten Realms, and all that that the Watsi Wizards of the Coast puts out, they also have the open open gaming license, which allows other creators to create their own settings using the same rules. So on Drive Through RPG, you can find Pugmire, which is um, Dungeons and Dragons, but using your humanoid characters are all do- dogs. Okay. So you're a dog adventurer, that type of thing. So mm-hmm. imagine the poker, the poker, um, the, the dogs playing poker sign or uh, painting. You know, you're in that kind of a world. Um, there's Scarred Lands, which is more of a Conan, uh, the barbarian type of feel to it. So there's all these other different settings that you can do on Drive Through RPG. Um, you know, if if the basic Dungeons and Dragons isn't what you're interested in, if you want to look at other settings, so that's why I don't publish there. I did I do also make maps, hand drawn maps, and color them with Photoshop. And so I'm starting to put some stuff up there um, on Drive Through RPG uh, because I do want to do a Kickstarter one of these days, and I figure that's a good way to try and um, get a mailing list or some exposure on Drive Through RPG. Also, yeah. Um- so when you're like creating these adventure campaigns and things like that, like how, how do you, how do you start? Like what, what's the, what's step one and just give us kind of a broad overview of what it, what it takes to produce something like this for selling. Uh, in the beginning, my, I had a budget of $40 per project product, which isn't a very high product or a high budget for, for what you're putting together. Um, I started with, you know, my my original stories that I had written for my uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I think the first one I posted was the House of the Midnight Violet, which is a haunted mansion type uh, adventure. Um, and for me, I, two things were really inspiring. First, the title, or a mental image of of something um, I come up with. So, uh, or or. News feeds, um, movies, uh, other titles of movies, that type of thing, um, books. Something, something's going to catch me and, and say, "Hey, that would be awesome to to build." Actually, Dragon's Breath Tavern is an adventure I wrote that um, was inspired by the um, Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, what is that? From Dust Till Dawn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, you know, that whole I, that whole idea came from that. Um, so there's all kinds of ways that I get inspired for things. And then, you know, after after getting the inspiration, sitting down, the hardest step is just starting to type. You know, where do I start? What how's this gonna start? And then, you know, you build the story, you go back and add things, you continue on, um, you add more story to it, you add the rules, um, you know, and, and from that forty dollar beginning budget, I'm now up to about five hundred dollars a budget for per project. Yeah. So I'm able to commission maps, covers, internal art. Um, you know, I just I, I, as I grow, I want to put more money into my products to make them, you know, what I want them to look like, what I want them to be. Yeah. Because there's 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 you know, when I write up a scene, I want to be able to show that scene to the dungeon master or the players through the art that's in the book too. And I can't always get that with stock art. So, you know, I spend money and I support other creators in the industry by commissioning art and maps. Very cool. Um, so when you are, are creating the ventures and everything, do you have, um, I mean, do you start with a, do you have an outline laid out, you know, like beginning, middle and end or how does, how does that kind of approach to like, how do you structure it? 
it's a very rough outline. Yeah. Uh, I write down the idea. I sketch some things out from that outline. Um, it changes so much while I'm writing it. Um, going back and having proofreaders read it and they say, well, what about this? I'm like, oh, that's a good point. So, you know, I'll add a piece into there. So I have an overall idea in my head when I start to write. You know, I, I try to think of it as a movie in my head. Um, how's this going to play out? Uh, go through the whole scenario, the whole adventure, and how's it going to end? You know, so I have that idea in my head when I start writing, but it changes so much as it goes. Yeah. So how, how loose do you make it or make them? The adventures themselves? Yeah. Uh, I was always curious about, I, I don't read the Dungeon in the Box. I'm the one who describes the Dungeon in the Box, but I don't read the campaign, obviously, because right. I'm playing it. So I'm curious, like, how how you go about it and then if you know how other people go about it. Because I haven't read any of the other, you know, D&D campaigns by Wizard of the Coast, so. Yeah. Uh, there's a few different styles of adventures. There's sandbox adventures, which basically says, you know, this is what you, this is what's there. Kind of like an open town. Um, you can go to this store, this store, this store, this store, and you don't know what's going to happen until you go there. And there's also the feel that there's the railroad adventure where um, you're walking through a, a uh, dungeon all right so you know you've got to go through all these rooms to get to a certain point um i write a lot of the railroad style only because it's easier and it's you know it seems like a lot of people like it um to know that there's a beginning and an end and you have to go between these sections to get to the end it makes it so much easier for the dm to schedule a two three or four hour session than it does um you know to say hey this is going to take us three nights because there's so much involved with it um so you know, I try and open it up sometimes more than just the railroad style from here to here, for, you know, point A to point B to point C. Um, but as long as the adventure is engaging, uh, and again, the openness of it is basically up to the players and the DMs because they can, you know, your characters could walk into the bar and say, no, nah, we're not going to do any of this that's going on. And they walk right out and it's over, you know. There's there's no way to get you to do the adventure actually. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine all the things that as playing D and D and knowing what my DMs could have had planned for us, how much we could have possibly missed in a scenario. Exactly. Um, it's and it's it's kind of scary to think about because I look at um, the game that I feel like has gone most closely related to like branching narrative paths in video games is a uh, Detroit Become Human that came out last year. Like they try to go really far with uh, many, many different choice pathways you can go about. And at the end of each uh, session or at the end of each level, they show you the, the the arc, the branching narrative pathway and where you went and the parts of the game that you completely missed and didn't get to experience. And then you're like, right. okay, now I want to go back and do all this because there was like this whole branching craziness that I didn't even get to see, you know, choices and stuff that were made. Um, and that's really interesting. So it's, uh, it's really cool, but it's, it's kind of a, kind of a bummer sometimes cause you're like, well, now you gotta feel like you want to run the campaign like five different times just to see how, how it goes. Each time. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And same, some people do that. I mean, not the same, not the same players, but right. the same DM will run the same thing over and over and over and get totally different results. Yeah. I feel like and, you're going to have you know, to in a way, I mean, just to get your, you know, the maximum runway out of the, uh, the, the adventure that you, you purchased or whatever, you know? So, right. And uh, the whole thing about bypassing something the DM has prepared, that's a sad day for the DM when you do that. 
I mean, they could have had something so cool and and just waiting to spring it on you and you bypass it and you're like, oh, man. But I'm sure it'll show up somewhere else. Right. DM, right. DM will plant it somewhere else for you. <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like I would just go mad as a DM because I, I, I come from a film background, so very narrative, structured, you know, right type of stories. And then like looking at doing a DM or like DM in my own story, just be like, okay, we've... Completely missed everything I've no, ever wrote. As you yeah, I have no idea what we're doing anymore. That's exactly right. <laughs> Things <Yeah>. happen. <laughs> yeah, the people will um, leave notes or comments, uh, reviews on, on some of my products there, and they'll say, well, this character did this, and now they're doing this. I'm like, that is not how it was written. <laughs> as long as you're having fun, it doesn't matter. Right, right. You know, as long as you're having fun, it doesn't matter at all. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so how, how many projects do you think you've published now on um, the Dungeons Masters Guild website that you've had a, a hand in in some capacity? Mm. Hard to, hard to that, count. <laughs> yeah, hang on here. Let me see if I can count real quick for you. Um, some of my projects are also converted to Fantasy Grounds. So, okay. Uh, Very that's cool. really cool. But, oh, man. It says displaying one of 57 items. Okay. So wow. Looks like I have 57 products up there. Wow. Um, that I've either published or had a hand in publishing, um, right. contributed to, or so like that. So that's quite a few. I didn't know I had that many. Hey, there you go. That's pretty awesome. You learn something new every day. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So, a uh, question as a as somebody that writes and that has played. Um, what are some people that you look up to and admire in the dungeon master community and just in general, like are there particular writers or adventures or people that you've seen on YouTube channels and things like that? Like who do you look to for inspiration? That's a good question. Um, when I first started, um, researching the dungeon masters guild, I picked up a couple of products and, uh, one of the, uh, creators was, is named MT black. Um, and he's from Australia. He's currently doing some writing, I think, uh, in the ADEP program for the Dungeon Masters Guild, which is basically they, they get some of the content prior to the official releases of the new books. And so they're able to work on that um, and have it released on day one when it comes out. Um, so his stuff was always really inspiring because of the way he wrote. He wrote it pretty concise. Uh, Tony Petreca is also another DM uh, writer on the Dungeon Masters Guild that just really – I found his writing inspirational. It was great to read, fun to read, laughed out loud. Um, you know, and there's so many new people coming on board too. Uh, people like Alex Klippinger, um, Ann Gregerson, Chris Walls, all these new people coming out of the Dungeon Masters Guild, uh, younger group, um, because, you know, I'm in my late forties. I think Tony and MT are also in their forties. You know, these younger kids are coming in when I wish I had this available at yeah. that time, you know, uh, I've started writing then. Um, so as far as writing on the, uh, and, and inspiration from the Dungeon Master Guild, that's, that's the, you know, just a few of the names that really inspire me from the, uh, from those creators. Other than that, watching Chris Perkins, um, DM the Acquisitions Incorporated cast, uh, with, uh, Mike Krahulik and, and Jerry Hulkin, uh, Patrick Roth, Rothfuss on there occasionally, uh, and other other stars. Uh, that's just that's a great inspiration right there, just to see those people play and have fun. And you know, then other DMs that I've I've dealt with um, have always been inspirational to me. Um, Casey Back's my current DM. 
um, for one of the games we're playing with him. And, you know, he's, he's, he does some great stuff, inspires me for some stuff. Uh, so that's, you know, there's so much more I could add to that. It's just seeing the community at large, James and James Intercasso, Mike Shea, um, uh, Sean Merwin, uh, the down with D and D podcast with, uh, Chris Sneezak, those, the online po- podcast of the Tome show and, um, tabletop babble, uh, it's all inspirational hearing about yeah. all these different people involved in the industry now um, that have just grown themselves with this big boom of fifth edition. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I, yeah, there, there's a. I feel like we've just barely touched the surface of what's out there um, in the the world of not only. I mean, all we've played personally is Dungeons and Dragons as far as tabletop role playing games go, but right. we have a lot of friends that. Um, uh, play like GURPS and they play uh, like the Star Wars I think Legion I think is the name of it like it's a, a another Star Wars tabletop RPG and right. then right. Um, there's all these different ones out there that you know have some crossover and stuff in the way that they're played and the rule sets and things like that but it's just it's insane and then it, yeah I mean I love it though it's it's cool to kind of jump into this and see how people are taking this thing and branching it out to make it their their own yeah, so. and the game, you know, like you've said before, the game is awesome. Dungeons and Dragons is awesome, but what makes it more awesome is the players who are playing the game and yeah. their interactions with each other. You know, sitting around the table, playing, laughing at each other, um, role playing off of each other. You know, if it's that or if it's online, that's what makes the game. It's it's the whole camaraderie between the characters and the players. It's just so much fun. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, so, do you see any issues with? D and D as of right now, I just saw a video where Matthew Mercer was saying that he, that he sees that him being this kind of beacon of or like hair uh, heading up D and D has created an issue where people expect that kind of uh, like experience from what he's providing and uh, I also saw someone else, uh, another big D and D content creator on YouTube, saying that he doesn't stream like some of his main campaigns because he prefers to have that experience be intimate with him and the people he's playing with, and having like streaming stuff, you know, kind of takes takes some of that away because you're you're dealing with all this other stuff that you know is kind of you know you're, you're having to split your your concentration on you know playing the game and then talking to people so sure yeah i can i can see the whole if if you don't know dungeons and dragons if you don't know how the whole thing works and you all you're seeing is matt mercer um with the critical role cast and you know doing this fantastic job i mean I, you can't even believe have you seen their kickstarter Mm-mm. I have oh not. good heavens it's up over 11 million dollars now i think oh my gosh kickstarter for yeah. what uh let me look it up here i can't recall what did they call it they're basically going to do a critical role of cartoon i believe is it the legend um, of vox machina i think so yeah 11.3 million dollars yep it's uh, <laughs> yep. called critical role the legend of vox machina animated special Yep, and they—I think it was only going to be one episode, but after <laughs> it's, after its boom, they keep adding episodes to it. So I don't know how many episodes are up to now, but uh, yeah, that was just crazy. Ten um, episodes. To see that? 
10 episodes now. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be great. I mean, to have another cartoon out. I mean, I don't know if you ever watched the, uh, the 1980s, I think it was cartoon of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, no, which I think I you can did. buy on Amazon. <laughs> it's, it's a little cheesy, but that's okay. Um, yeah. If, if you're, if you're expecting your DM to be that don't just because <laughs> everybody's different, you know, uh, nobody's going to have that for, first of all, they're voice actors, you know, so Matt Mercer knows what he's doing with his voice to make it interesting for the players. Um, yeah. Every DM is going to be different. Some are going to be more narrative. Some are going to be more, you know, combat driven. Some are going to be more into what the characters want. Some are going to be more into driving the story. So, it's every DM is different. Just take away from that DM what they give you and, and have fun with it. You know, don't go in expecting any sort of, any sort of game. If you're new to D and D, just have fun with it. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's awesome. I think we're going to, going to wrap it up here and uh, close things out, but I want to first mention, we were talking via email um, about a giveaway and uh, still want to, want to go with that i want to make make you sure you're good all right awesome so yeah. uh everybody that's listening to this podcast right now if you go to our uh facebook page or our twitter page it'll be on all the pages also in the show notes so the innergamer.net slash 216 is where you'll be able to find this there will be a little little short survey where you give us your name your experience with dungeon dragons all that stuff enter in there and we're going to give away two $10 gift certificates for the Dungeon Masters Guild. So you can go and pick up uh, uh, one of uh, the adventures from Jeff Stevens. and you know Pick up whatever you want. Spend it on whatever you want. If you want to buy oh, yeah. character options that I don't do, you go right ahead. Just enjoy it. Perfect, yeah. So but Specifically Jeff Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll have, have uh, two gift, gift certificates to give away for the Dungeon Masters Guild. So uh, go to the show notes, uh, click that link, fill out the form, and... The next podcast likely is when we will announce the the winners and give those away. So we'll have that. And Jeff, this has been awesome to talk about. It's it's always fun to chat about D and D and just the, the passion that you have and like how much history you have with the game and uh, writing these stories and everything. So thank you for coming on. Um, where can people find you online to find out more about? Where can they buy your stuff? Where can they find you on the Instagrams and the social medias or whatever, all that stuff? Sure. I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is like the worst Twitter handle I could ever create, but I didn't know what I was doing when I did it. So it is at J Corvin Stevens. That's letter J C O R V I N S T E V E N S uh, at J Corvin Stevens. Um, I'm on Facebook, but not very often. I think you can find me under Jeff Stevens also. Um, and if you go to the, the DMs Guild, www.dmsguild.com and type in Jeff C. Stevens, you should find all my products on there. Also, I have three in the top 15 right now if you go to the most popular section uh, at oh, the top. Beautiful. So, yeah, I've had a really good run here lately with the, a lot of the creations that I've, I've helped put together and build. Um, so it shouldn't be too hard to find me. Uh, but, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Follow me on Twitter. Send me a message if you have any questions. Love it. Perfect. And we'll have uh, all those links in the show notes as well. So you can go check those out. And uh, with that, Jeff, thanks. Thanks so much. And uh, we look forward to seeing all the all the exciting content you continue to produce in the future. And um, thank, I'm thanks, definitely thank gonna you be, guys going to be using some of that for, for sure in our, our campaigns because we're, yes, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, this so. has been a lot of a lot of fun talking to you guys. It's been great. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and uh, come right back with our video game releases. 
next week let's talk about our upcoming video game releases and the storm is back again on april 26th it's not really a storm i mean it's not a storm it's just a constant uh dropping of rain and stuff it right. just keeps coming because right. it's just it, we just there's always games april 26th days gone is finally out on ps4 it is here at its core days gone is about survivors and what makes them human desperation loss madness betrayal friendship brotherhood regret love and breadth and hope it's all about how even when confronted and confronted <laughs> confronted with such enormous tragedy hope never dies how did uh, brett make it in there i uh, just it's just it it's just oh it's regret the, no, no no it's brett no regret. it's actually no it's not regret it's brett it's, yeah because we brett regret and regret and love oh no we don't regret brett we, at we all re- we regret brett no way no that's not that's not the case no you're just, just miss you're misreading it it's that's not part I of the script anyway no so brett's awesome he's in the game check him out he's the one that rides the motorcycle he's a lead character He's a badass biker dude. And so he um, says it right there in the script. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> shit. It's there now. Anyway, uh, Days Gone. It's here. We've heard about it a lot on PS4. Um, they've been pitching this game for like three years now, probably. And we're finally going to get it. I'm hoping it's pretty good. Um, I'm not heard good I'm things. I'm not already. super hyped about it, but. I've not heard good things. The yeah. gets repetitive. And uh, the characters are not strong enough for you to like to really continue the story forward. Oh, son of a bitch! Yeah, I know. Oh, well, thanks I'm for it for me, Austin. Are you I was get all it? excited? Are you no, get I don't it? know. Okay. I, I mean, it's an open world game. I'd probably not. Do I have? I don't to play get open it? world games. I'll get it since I'm a story guy. We'll just find somebody who wants to talk about it on the all podcast. Right. So if y'all are gonna play Days Gone, hit us up at hellothenergamer.net and tell us, and we might have you on the podcast so you can but, talk about um, this game. Uh, in addition, on April 26th, Super Meat Boy Forever is coming out to everything. Uh, this is a sequel to Super Meat Boy. Meat Boy and Bandage Girl must run, slide, tackle, jump, punch, and kick their way through over 7,000 levels and experience Brett's awesomeness to save their daughter Nugget from Dr. Fetus. Look at this graphic. Right, I think you got that wrong. It says bondage girl here. No, I never, I didn't read that at all. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, look at these graphics. Listen to the sound of music and push buttons in the this genuine certified video game. So I don't know if you all played Super Meat Boy. It's super fast. It's super crazy. It's super zany, and uh, it's here. It's going on everything. Might be you know how long game. this game has lived on. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was on that. Years. It was on that documentary that came yes. out a long time ago. That was. Yes. Oh man, it's crazy. So that's what we got coming out. Those are the last games we have. The big games to talk about for the end of April before we get into May. It's gonna burn my. And uh, yeah, there you have it. So that's gonna wrap up our show this week. Be sure and check us out next Tuesday for more from your favorite video game podcast. Visit theinnergamer.net for our latest episodes, videos, and social channels. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. And don't forget, this Sunday at Ampersand in Fort Worth, Texas, $10 to get in. It is a Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Tournament. You can come out, single elimination, play to your heart's content, best two out of three. It's going to be amazing. There will be prizes, cash prizes this time. Tell your friends, invite them all out, be there, three o'clock. You don't want to miss this. It's going to be awesome. Miss it. And please, please tell a friend about our podcast or leave a review. It helps us out so much. Helps us with rankings. Helps us get seen by more and more people just like you. We love casual games. Uh, And if you want to support our show, you can donate to our website at theintergamer.net. All donations go towards making the podcast videos and events even better. 
You can also join in on the conversation on our Discord channel, so check out the show notes for the link. I'm Austin Morales. I'm Brayden Oski. And you've been listening to the Intergamer Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week when we have a bunch of craziness and we regret Brett for being on here and there was more Bondage Girl. Yeah, and Austin, uh, shut your phone off because it keeps beeping over there. (laughs) Bye, guys. Three, two, one. Get the music, Brett. Bye, Felicia. Why are you saying bye? I'm just, no, just okay. because. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Three, two, one, go. Oh, yeah. Wait, I got to get my notes up. Uh, three, two, one, go. I don't have any notes. <clears throat> and she didn't call me. Speak of the devil. <laughs> Hello? Hello? She know what you do doing, like talking to somebody else while... She is talking to somebody else. That's Hello? hilarious. She's still doing it. Hello? Hello? She butt dialed you. No bloopers today, Brett. We're done. No, no more bloopers. bloopers. Your You'll face is a some. blooper. You're a blooper, duper, pooper. Yeah, no, that's a blooper. Flooper. <laughs> I laughed. Looper. I laughed at Brett. Okay. All right. Three, two, one.